This message is brought to you on behalf of the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Our senior pastor, Matt Chia, is celebrating our missionaries by devoting this morning's message to them and encouraging us to be partakers in their ministry to others. And today it's our privilege to have with us our missionaries, B. House and Jennifer Jonale, with Proclaim International. Proclaim's approach to evangelism is unusual in that they reach people who probably would never attend church through music, drama, and the arts. Today, B. House's sermon is entitled, No Benchwarmers in the Kingdom of God. And now let's join B. House as he brings us the message. Well, this morning, as you see on the front of your bulletin, it is Missions Emphasis Sunday, and Rancho Baptist Church does not want to be a church that is only focused on itself. We want to be reaching out to the lost all over the globe and in our community. And we want to put missions up in front uh, often. And so on the back of your bulletin, we have all of our missionaries listed, and I encourage you to pray for them, to support them in in any and all ways. And uh, we, as a church, want to be about reaching the world for Christ. And at the end of the day, I don't think Jesus is going to say, way to go, Rancho Baptist, you built a building. Way to go, Rancho Baptist, you made budget every month. You know what Jesus is going to say? Way to go, Rancho Baptist, you supported missionaries, you sent people out into the unreached places. You spent money on the translation of my word. You did things that really have lasting eternal value. I believe at the end of the day, that's what Jesus is going to judge a church by. Not by buildings and budgets and stuff like that. What really lasts? What really matters? And so today we want to emphasize missions. And we have the pleasure of hearing from one of our missionaries, Peter Jeanelet, who goes by B House, and uh, he and his family are up there on the screen, and I'm going to ask B House to come on up right now. Give him a warm Rancho Baptist welcome. And B House and I actually were uh, classmates at Talbot School of Theology, and we also worked at the same church together. B House was the uh, pastor of evangelism at. Uh, Calvary Church Santa Ana, and I was the junior high pastor there, and we enjoyed uh, uh, teaming up from time to time, and we share the same heart for the Lord, same heart for the lost, and it's good to have you here, B-House, and unfortunately, B-House's family is not here because the two daughters are sick. Yeah. And he said, what was it, Taylor? Taylor, yeah. Taylor, the oldest, sounds like a smoker right now. (laughs) Because her voice is... Uh, it's actually kind of cute. She's got this really raspy voice. Better get that on video. Yeah. But uh, the one thing I do hold against B-House, I, I really have trouble with this. He's an SC fan. Boo. Why are you wearing red today? <laughs> I'm wearing red? What, what's wrong with red? Red doesn't represent SC. Okay. Oh, these are some other diehard SC fans. Oh, uh, okay. okay. So, all of you SC fans. There you go. I appreciate it. All right. So, B House, tell us a little bit about your ministry, and then uh, go ahead and give us the word. Sure. Take it well, from yeah. Uh, as Matt said, I went to seminary with Matt, so I know at some point he had good theology, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I can say that I knew Matt before he had any gray, and uh, <laughs> I had some good times. What was that? Was that before? You? Okay. 
No, Matt was a cool guy. We, uh, we were on staff together at Calvary Church. He was a junior high pastor, and as he said, I was the evangelism pastor. And uh, Matt was really cool. He got us to pray, um, which we weren't allowed to do during office hours. But, uh, <laughs> a joke. But we, we, would, we would break away and we would pray, uh, Matt and I and a couple other pastors. And, uh, you know, they're still doing that, Matt, thanks to your influence. So they call it their Matt Shia prayer time, where they pray for you. And, no. Anyways, um, so we had some good times. But uh, my, my family's here, and uh, as, as Matt said, the girls are sick today, so they're not here. Taylor is three, and Emma is one. They were both born in Germany, and uh, we'll be heading back soon. We're on our, kind of our one-year furlough where you can be overseas for four years, but you have to come back for one year after, or you have to start paying taxes in the country that we go. In Germany, the taxes are pretty high. And uh, so anyways, this is where we, uh, where we do most of our work. We live in Germany. We work primarily in the Balkans. And we'll actually talk about the Balkans because Paul's going to mention that area, which is that area, if you see just, just east of Italy, the Adriatic Sea, and then we have Croatia, Bosnia, Albania, Macedonia, um, real picturesque spots. And uh, so that's where we do a lot of our work there. And then this is the village that we were living in. It's uh, called Malkin, and it's, it's very beautiful, as you can see. Uh, although sometimes I, I really wish that on one of those rolling green hills was at Costco because the nearest city is 45 minutes away. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is pretty to visit. And so we work with Proclaim International. We're a very small ministry. That's my field supervisor, Bob Johnson. And uh, so we, uh, we basically work in countries that are a little more difficult to get into. We use music and we take bands into countries where, again, it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's just open countries, no problem. And sometimes... It's not okay to go there. So we go there under the guise of music. And then we put on concerts and share the gospel with people that come to the concert. So uh, this is a typical concert. This is uh, in Albania, this picture here. And then after, you know, we invite people to come. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a concert, but usually the band doesn't go after to meet everybody who comes to the concert. And so it's kind of a unique privilege to go. And these guys are professional quality. And so we'll go and we'll meet with people after the concert and have a lot of good opportunities to share we work a lot with national churches and national believers, and um, they do the follow-up. So we go in um, about a year ahead of time, and uh, we do uh, a lot of pre-tour, what we call evangelism training and follow-up discipleship training. And uh, so this is a typical flyer of, uh, of before a tour. So it takes a lot of work to put a tour on. Tour lasts for about two to three weeks. Oh, she's fine. I've got one at home. I'm used to it. So it's up to you. So, um, so yeah, we, uh, so it takes a while to get these things going, but once they go, they go pretty good. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of involvement. Our concerts range in size. Uh, they'll range from, you know, 10 people if it's raining to 60,000 if it's in a stadium. And so we prefer kind of in between because we want to be able to get out and meet with people. We did a big concert in Albania recently, and we had about, I don't know, 20,000. And it was really difficult for us because, you know, they were worried about security, and so we really couldn't interact. Fortunately, there's a lot of Camps Crusade for Christ people we were partnering with, and so they were out in the audience. And so, but it's nicer to have a little bit smaller group. So we do these trips, and then we do some pre-tour trips. Um, when we're not on tour, we have a home Bible study. We actually were teaching two. We were teaching one for uh, young adult Germans from the local church. And then we were also teaching one for missionaries. Because when you go to a new culture, you obviously want to go to the church of the new culture. Um, Talking with someone and having a conversation is one thing, but listening to a sermon and understanding what they're saying 
is a totally different thing because there's a lot of different idioms, a lot of different terminology. And uh, so to understand a sermon in a different language for us is very difficult. So we were doing a Bible study for missionaries as well. And then on the side, we, when we moved to this village, we were kind of not very popular coming from America. Uh, Germans don't tend to like Americans all that much in general. Um, I mean, it's not always true, but it's often true. So what we did is we, we taught teach swing dancing to kind of get to know some of our German neighbors. And for those of you that have a problem with swing dancing, I'm really sorry. Um, but that's what we did. And so we got to know a lot of people. So by the time you know, we first walked to the village, when we first got there, you know, we'd pass people and we'd say hi and they just kind of look at you. And, you know, no joke, you know, you say, hey, and, you know. And then by the time we got, you know, a couple of years and we're teaching classes, you know, we'd say hi and people would say hi back, you know. And that's a big step, you know. We didn't have people putting jelly on our car anymore, honey and you know, putting frozen, you know, they would put water in our car and it would freeze and they put more water and it would freeze. So we'd have like an inch of water, of ice on our car in the wintertime. Yeah, you know, kids in Germany. So anyways, um, it's actually kind of fun because we got to know some of our neighbors really well and, uh, and they would tell us stories about, you know, things that have happened in their village. And you wouldn't think it's this tiny little village in the middle of nowhere much has happened. But, you know, in World War II, you know, you get to hear some, some pretty interesting things, you know, about how he was one, one time the neighbor, this is a tangent, I'm sorry, I won't start the clock yet, man, but um, he was saying how these American soldiers came through and they disarmed, you know, this is t- toward the end of the war, they disarmed all the German soldiers that were there and, uh, and then let them go. And, uh, and he said, you know, it was like the next day all these French soldiers came over and say, hey, we've conquered your area. He's like, <laughs> he was still pretty bitter about that, that, you know, they didn't that the French took credit for all this stuff that they, they hadn't done. Anyways, so a lot of history there. So anyways, today we're going to be looking at, at Romans chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, you might want to turn to Romans chapter 15. And we're going to be talking about no bench warmers in the kingdom. Anybody here play football? Anybody here get on the team and ever play a, a down? <laughs> that was me. But it wasn't by choice. I, I actually hurt my knee before the season started, and that was kind of the end of that. You know, they, they did the MRI and said, well, you can play, but uh, it, it could affect the rest of your life if you get injured again. And I, I said, well, that's all right. I think I'll skip it. So I, I played in uh, intramural. Matt never did play in intramural football. That's all right, though. Anyways, Romans 15. Um, we want to be participants in what God is doing in God's plan because God is calling us all to have a role and uh, we're going to look at this passage we're going to look briefly uh, but to give us some context I'll start with verse 7 but we're going to just get context we're going to start reading with verse 1 and so let's pray as we as we open God's word Father we thank you for this time and we thank you for for this church I pray Lord that you would increase our desire to reach the lost with your gospel and Father to reach the nations too in a unique way that you've called and gifted us. So we pray for your guidance this morning as we open this word together. And we pray for your grace and help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Romans 15. Paul begins by saying, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and just not please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, 
so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's going on here? Paul's writing to the believers in, in Rome. And he's writing to them. There's, they're mainly, Jewish, uh, sorry, mainly Gentile believers. They don't have a lot of interaction with the apostles up to this point. And Paul's writing them as the authority, as the apostle to the Gentiles, even though he didn't plant the church, even though he's never actually even visited the church to this point, although he will later. And uh, he's saying that I want you to be of one accord. I want you to be united. And he says, starting in verse 7, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ, just as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God. In other words, he's saying that I don't want there to be these divisions between Jew and Gentile. Now, you remember before, earlier in, in the... Uh, the book of Acts is kind of the church was developing, that there was a lot of schism between the Jews and Gentiles. The Jews had kind of become accustomed to these different things, different traditions as far as eating, as far as circumcision, as far as uh, cleanliness and all these things. And the Gentiles didn't have any history of these things. They didn't know. And so they didn't practice them. And even if they did, they weren't under the law to practice them. And so we see, you know, in the book of Acts that there's, there's a division going on between, uh, between Peter and, and, and Paul and even Barnabas was involved, and the, the, the Jewish believers would kind of separate themselves at mealtime from the Gentiles. And Paul calls them on the mat and says, hey, what are you guys doing? This is not what it's about. There's a tendency for this to happen, and, and Paul's writing here, hey, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. He's our example. He's our role model. He's the one who's made us all clean, the made us of one, of one body. Verse 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth. Okay, and what does that mean? The circumcision is to the Jews. He's saying, hey, Jesus became a servant to the Jews. In other words, he was the fulfillment of all that they were looking forward to. All the patriarchs, all the promises that were given, everything that they were expecting and hoping for was going to come uh, through Jesus. He was going to be the fulfillment, okay? So he's saying that in his servanthood to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to their father. In other words, what was his servant? His giving up of himself, right? His death, his resurrection, the propitiation, of the, of the wrath of God that he took upon himself for the sins of the world, Jesus became the servant, even to, to death on the cross. Now, it wasn't just for the Jews alone, though. Okay? Now, God's plan from the beginning was to reach the nations. He was going to use the Jewish people to fulfill this plan. Okay? The Jews were going to be this great lighthouse. They were going to magnify the glory of God to all the nations because God was going to do miracles through them and in their nation he was going to preserve them. Of course, we know that they rebelled against God again and again and again and again. But God's promises endure. Hey, I'm going to use you to bless the nations. And we'll see more of that in just a minute. Now, how many of you here today would consider yourself a Gentile? You're a Gentile. If you're not a Jewish, then you're a Gentile. All right, how many Jews do we have here? Just me. All right. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I do. My, my mother's Jewish. And my uh, father is German. And I have one picture of my father's father, and he's wearing a Nazi uniform. So, Matt, when you ask for, for uh, pictures of relatives wearing military garb, <laughs> you know, I figure he didn't mean my grandfather. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because my, my mother, again, is Jewish, and uh, my father was German, son of a Nazi. And uh, when they married together, you know, it was uh, very difficult for the family on my mom's side. And uh, they said, do you see what's going to happen? 
And when I became a Christian, I got saved on the street corner in high school. That was kind of the, the, the result of the curse of my mom marrying a Gentile. You know, you get a Christian son. So, who's a missionary? You know, it doesn't get any worse than that. I guess I mean, maybe a pastor would be a little bit worse. But uh, Anyways, so his goal is the same. It's, it's, it's to reach the nations, and he was going to do it through the Jewish people. And that's why he says in verse 9, And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. Verse 10, And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall, come the root of, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he shall arise to rule over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now notice again and again he uses the word Gentiles. Nine times in this little passage he'll use the word Gentiles. God's desire, again, is the nations. These lost people who have never known, they have no history of a relationship with God, who have no history of what he's done and his power and his miracles and his love for his creation. And so he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use these people to reach the nations. Now he says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the result of this is that they would have hope and the Spirit would empower them. And so salvation through Christ is not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. Now that seems so basic, right? Then let's, let's take this a bit further. We're going to look just, just now at a couple passages here to see that this is God's plan. This is God's purpose, and it, in a sense, is a large part of why we're here on earth. Why God is not, you know, just doesn't lead us to Christ and then we go home and be with Him, right? Because that would be better for us, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to deal with sin, we wouldn't have to deal with these frail bodies, we wouldn't have to deal with, with all the things that are going on here that are evil and wicked. Um, but there's a purpose for us being here. And again, it's God's big picture that he's doing something throughout the course of time. And each of us, in time, have an opportunity, and as a believer, a responsibility to participate in what he's doing. Each of us are unique. Uniquely created, uniquely gifted, unique experiences, unique opportunities that we've had as as children, as adults. And now it's time to put those things to use for his glory. And for his kingdom. So let's look at a couple passages here. I just want to show you through these different genres and different points of the Bible with different things going on in history that God's plan is the same. So let's start by looking very quickly at a few passages here. Genesis chapter 12, okay? Something major happens in Genesis chapter 12. You know, God creates the heavens and the earth. You got these things going. You got the flood. You got Noah. You got all these things. And it just seems like, you know, it's building to something. And then it happens. God calls Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who, and those who curse you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, does it say all the Jewish families of the earth? It's all the families. God was going to use Abraham, again, to reach the nations, to bless the nations. His salvation was going to be revealed to Abraham, and Abraham was going to carry that to the nations. Let's go on. Let's look at another passage here. Different genre, the poetry. Psalm 67. God, be gracious to us and bless us, and cause His face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with their rightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the, the earth has yielded its produce. God our God blesses us. Why does he bless us? That all the ends of the earth may fear him. Okay? So he's blessing us so that we can bless others. Now, he's not talking about... You know, he's going to bless us financially so we can give others financially. He's talking about he's going to give us his salvation. And he's going to bless us in ways that are going to enable us to carry his message of salvation to the nations. This, is, this sounds like New Testament stuff. This is in the Old Testament, though. It's the same plan because it's the same God. Jeremiah and the prophet. Now, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, right? Because he's, because he's pouring out, he's, 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 he's sharing about the judgment and the wrath that's going to come on, on in Israel and Jerusalem. Uh, because of their sin. And yet he says, at that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord, nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. Again, his heart is for the nations, to reach them. We know the Great Commission, Matthew 20, 20 and 19, 20. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, all the nations. All the nations. And then one more, Revelation, kind of looking at the end, kind of peeking at the last chapter here. Uh, Revelation 7, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Okay? So it goes from the world being divided, to Jew and Gentile, to being divided by believer and non-believer. Okay? That's what's significant now. Now, we who are believers, we here in the faith, our assignment is to reach out to those who are outside the faith. That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's God's heart. That's God's plan. Okay, Now, that's what we're about. That's the task that God's given to us, and that's what is first and foremost on God's heart, sharing His salvation to the nations, that they might know Him, that they might worship Him, that they might glorify Him. And again, we have, a, we have an opportunity to participate in that. Now, this is a little graph I just made up for us. And, uh, you know, many of us think that the purpose of life is to find personal fulfillment and personal joy and personal, you know, what, you know, we try different things to say, hey, you know, what's my thing? What's my niche? What's going to make life worth living? You know, some of us turn to different things for purpose in life. Now, I have a family. I love my family. They're, they're awesome. You know, I, I, you know, I remember when they were little girls. Well, they're still little girls, but, you know, just the awe of having a baby and, you know, playing with them and seeing them mature and grow, you know, but, as much as I love that, as much as that's a part of my life, it's not the, the, the purpose of my life. You know? As much as I love USC, <laughs> you know, it's not the purpose of my life. It's not to, to, to go to the game and root for SC, you know. Um, you know, these things that we use, you know, entertainment or, or family or our career or our uh, fame, you know, whatever, you know, education, whatever you wanted to go to. These are things that many people in the world will turn to to bring their whole purpose of their life, you know, to say, hey, this is my thing, this is, makes me who I am, you know. 
Rather than seeing those things for what they are, it's just add-on things. It's not the main thing. It's just something we do that I could, I could live without if I had to. The main thing is our relationship with God, right? Now, that's kind of the way we sometimes think, you know. That these are things that I can turn to, and God is one of those things I can turn to. So when I want to feel religious, when I want to feel like, like a, you know, I don't know, whatever, then I'm going to turn to God, and I'll rub the lamp, and God will come out and say, hey, how can I serve you? What do you need? You know, and that's kind of our Christianity, where it's about us, and God's kind of created in our image, and he's there to serve us, and so that's what we live for, you know. The Bible teaches that it's actually about God, and he's the main character. In the beginning was God, and he created the heavens and the earth. Now, this line on the bottom is kind of a timeline here. And, uh, you know, he creates the heavens and the earth. Again, Genesis 12, he calls Abraham, says, I'm going to bless the nations through you. And we begin a dispensation of God dealing primarily with Israel. Okay, and we read about that in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus comes, John the Baptist comes, followed by Jesus. We have his death, we have his resurrection, we have Pentecost, and we begin really a new dispensation where God begins to deal primarily with Israel. Okay, that seems to be the focus. Now, Israel's still there, but they're distinct from the church. And then if you're pre-tribulation rapture, you have the, the rapture, that's a little error going up. You have the great tribulation period here. If you're not a pre-trib, it's okay. Tell me about it when I come back, okay? Um, <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> and then you have the... Uh, you have the second coming, the arrow coming down, and then the millennial kingdom, and it goes on and on, okay? Now, if you don't subscribe to this form of eschatology, that's all right. You know, I'm not here to, I'm not here to talk about that. i just give you an idea of what it could look like. All right, but Matt says this is all right with him, so if it's okay with Matt, then it should be okay with you. Anyways, so where are we in this? Well, you know, I put a line there in the church age. I don't know exactly if we're toward the very end, if we're toward the middle. I have no idea, but we're in there somewhere, and that's where we are. And the purpose of our life is to see, okay, what is God doing and how do I fit in? As I said before, what's, how's God gifted me? How's God called me? What's my situation in life now and what's it going to be in the future? Okay, God is calling you to reach people for Christ. Now, God's not calling everybody to go and be an overseas missionary, but God's calling everybody to be part of reaching the nations for His glory, for Christ, with His gospel, each and every one of us. So that's our purpose. God is not there to meet our needs. We're there to fulfill His plan. And that is a significant part of our life, if not the most significant part. You know, to worship Him, to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, and then to be part of what He's doing. Now, that's what Paul's talking about here, that these Gentiles, they need hope. These nations Okay? He uses Gentiles because he's distinguishing between Jew and Gentile. But we could really say the same thing as the nations, those that don't know him. And that's who God desires to reach. And he's going to use us to do it. And it's by his grace, not by a curse or a judgment, that he's going to use us to do it. It's by the grace of God that we get to be used to participate in this. So, he goes on. Paul is going to talk about his unique role as an apostle. He says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with the knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. In other words, he's saying, he's not saying that they're perfect and that they have all the understanding in the world. He's saying, hey, I know that this church is a solid church. And I know that they're not in this, some kind of deep sinful community and they're not novices. Um, he writes them, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, he says, I write this by way of reminder. 
But again, he's, he's telling them again some, some things to further deepen their understanding of God and of God's kingdom and of what God is doing. Um, and again, this is a church that is a very solid church despite not having an, an apostolic founding. Um, but Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, is writing to this primarily Gentile church to give them further understanding. And Paul's again to talk about his ministry. He says, uh, But I have written very boldly to you on some points, uh, as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God, uh, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And again, we kind of get the imagery of kind of the Old Testament system going on here, where you have the priests, and you have the offering, and you have, you know, the offering has to be pure and spotless and perfect. And so Paul's kind of drawing these connotations there. You know, drawing back where, hey, now I'm, I'm the priest, I'm kind of in the role of the priest, and my duty is to proclaim the gospel. And what's his offering? His offering is the Gentiles. His offering is, is the people that are coming to Christ. This is his offering. Right? It's an offering that is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it pure. That's what makes it blameless and spotless. So God is doing a work through Paul to bring people to himself, these Gentiles, and to cleanse them, to equip them uh, for the kingdom and so that's what his ministry is. Now, it's possible that as Paul writes this, he's referring to a passage in Isaiah. It's actually, I'm sorry, I should have fixed it. 66, 20. Then the nations shall, I'm sorry, then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters, on mules and on camels to my holy Mount Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. So he's comparing there in this passage in Isaiah you know, the offering, the grain offering, and the people as the offering. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, hey, this is the offering that I'm bringing. It's people. You know, that's what our ministry is about. It's not about programs. It's not about numbers. You know, those are means to an end, but they're not the end. The end is people. That's who we invest in. That's what it's about. Because people are created in the image of God. And God has, God loves them. And they have value as people created in the image of God. It doesn't matter what they look like doesn't matter how poor or how rich, how handsome or how ugly. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is how they are in God's sight. And in God's sight, they have value. And therefore, we need to be about doing what matters to God. And that's bringing them the gospel. And so he says um, that they may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, a clean and acceptable sacrifice. And so Paul says in verse 17... Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. Now, he's not boasting in his own ability or his own, you know, suave. Hey, I'm so good. I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm so wonderful. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm boasting in what Christ has done. Look at the next verse. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So, he's really talking about what Christ is doing. And he's just the vessel that Christ is working through. Now, he was, a, he was a unique man. He was the Apostle Paul. I mean, he wrought miracles and, and, and signs and wonders. He did some amazing things in the name of Christ. And it was, was, was a good example in that he didn't take the glory for himself. And he didn't boast himself. But we're called to kind of a, a similar role. Not as Apostle, and not as the, in the office of Apostle, but in the similar ministry of bringing the gospel to the lost. And that, again, is a privilege. He says that, um, verse... 
in the second half of verse 18, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and by deed. Okay, so that's the goal, that they would know God, relationship with Him, and be followers of Him in obedience. And uh, he says, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, Paul did some amazing things. And God did unique, it even says in the Bible, it even calls it unique miracles. Um, you know, people getting healed who passed in the, in the shadow of Peter. You know, that's, that's not the norm for, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever stood in Matt Sheehan's shadow, but it's probably not going to help you be cured from any ailment, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, Matt's hugs are healing maybe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, but there were some unique things going on, and this was to validate the message that he was preaching. Remember, the world back then was not like the world today. I mean, the world today, something happens, and every, everybody kind of knows about it. You know, we have trouble with our economy, and it doesn't just affect the United States. It affects China, it affects Japan, it affects Europe, you know, all these different countries, and they all have to respond to what's going on here and what's going on there. You know what I mean? It's, it's a different world. It's a world that's segre- uh, segmented by distance, where it takes time to travel. And so there's a lot of different cults, a lot of different religions. And, and Paul's just, you know, to, to some people, he's just preaching just another message. But this validates his message by the signs, by the wonders, by the miracles he's doing, and by the power of the Spirit. He says, so that from Jerusalem, roundabout as far as Elycrim. Now, he says roundabout. He says, I'm not just going straight lines here. I'm talking about this region. I'm going roundabout. Now, he starts in Jerusalem, which is not on the map. Jerusalem is kind of the, the, center, the center point, the starting point, as you will, if you will, of Christianity. It's where Pentecost took place, where the ministry of Jesus primarily was, um, as far as death and resurrection. And uh, this is the region up there. You can see it in red, what Paul's referring to. Now, it's never mentioned anywhere else in the, uh, the New Testament. Uh, you could read it. He, he preached up until that point, or he preached including that point. But the main thing is that that's where he was doing uh, his preaching. These yellow lines, those are the ancient roads there. You can see where Philippi is and Thessalonica is. And uh, so it's possible that Paul went in these areas. Modern day, this would be the area of, of the Balkans, where, actually, where I work now. Um, you can see it, Albania, it's, it's actually say Serbia, uh, Montenegro, the southern part of Bosnia. Uh, that's where the area that we're looking at here. Of course, you know what's happening there today. You know, there's war over and over Kosovo. I have a lot of war in Bosnia, Croatia. It's a real flashpoint, so there's our flash. Um, and so, so that's where Paul was doing his ministry. And so now what Paul did, you know, he, says, he says here, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ in this area. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul preached to every individual in this area. It doesn't even mean that he went to every village in the area. But what Paul did is he was very strategic in that he went and he planted churches along this road, the Ignatian Road, and in key cities... And the goal was that if you, you know, these churches were planted and their believers were maturing and they were self-reproducing, that the believers would go out into the, village or the villages around their area. And so Paul considered this area having been the foundation anyway, having been completed, and now he's in a position to move on. And that's why later on in this chapter, he's going to talk about going to Spain because he feels like this area is pretty much ready to be self-sustaining, to reach itself. And so he's going to go on. Now, in verses, the last couple of verses here, Gospel to All, um, Paul says in verse 20, And thus I aspire to preach the gospel. So his aspiration is to preach the gospel. Uh, not where Christ has already been named, so that I would not build another man's foundation. In other words, he's not saying that it's wrong for everybody to preach in an area where Christ is already known. He's saying that this is not his specific calling. You know, Paul was, he was kind of a frontiersman, you know, and that's where he would go. 
And when an area was reached, he would kind of move on to the next town. And he would go and he'd make disciples and believers there. And then he'd kind of move on, sometimes by choice and sometimes by force. But that's what he would do. Um, Some of us are called, like Apollos, to go and strengthen the believers that are there or to reach people in those areas, those communities. So some of us, like Paul, may be called to go to the frontier. And some of us, like Apollos, may be called to be here and to reach those in our communities. Um, But he says he doesn't want to build on the foundation of another. Uh, Again, he's not... He's not taking credit for for area that that he wasn't part of. Um, But again, it's all about the kingdom and the bigger perspective. And it says in verse 21, But as it is written, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who had not heard shall understand. So God, again, is doing something. And it doesn't just start now. It doesn't just start in the New Testament. It started from the beginning. God's plan to reach the nations. Now, we have some opportunities here to apply this. Now, again, this is Paul, his missionary journeys, where he's going to reach those areas that had not been reached. You know, it's quite a bit of journey for a guy who just had, you know, his footmobile and a, and a boat, you know. But he's covering a lot of the area, and uh, some think he covered more. We have the same opportunities, though in not the exact same way, but still. Um, how are we going to develop this heart for the lost, Okay. You know, when Matt asked me to speak, he said, you know, you know he wanted me to speak on, on developing, as a church, more of a heart for the lost, more of a heart to, for missions, and more of a heart to support missions. And so these are some things that I, I thought about that maybe could help us. Um, sharing the gospel, you know, asking God, when you get up in the morning, you know, maybe asking God for an opportunity that day to share Christ with somebody. It's amazing how often that prayer gets answered, you know. That, yeah, there's a lot of people that God is desiring to reach, and it's just a matter of finding Christians want, that are interested in telling them. Um, sharing the gospel with those that are around you. you know, we all know um, non-believers, whether they're family or friends or co-workers, um, whatever the case is, you know, we all know some. Praying for the nations. You know, you know, on there I have getting a world map. You know, that's kind of what got me going. I got a world map, and I stuck it on my wall, and I would kind of look at it, because you know, sometimes you know, I didn't know where the countries were. And I kind of get familiar with where they were, and then I got kind of curious as what was going on there, what was happening politically and, and regarding Christianity and regarding persecution. And it kind of got me going. It got me more and more interested. So I, I kind of listened more to the BBC, uh, more than, you know, than the local news a little bit, just to kind of get more of an idea of what was happening. And uh, to, to keep a bigger perspective, praying for people that I, I knew didn't know Christ. And again, praying for nations. And then learning more about persecution, which was a big thing for me. I didn't know anything about persecution until I was in Ireland. And I was at a Bible study in Ireland. And they were talking about praying for Mexico and all the persecution there. I was like, Mexico? That's like my neighbor, you know. And they are like, oh, yeah, don't you, you know, down in Chiapas, all that's going on. I never heard anything about it. You know, all I heard is the, the, the media's version of what was happening, you know. The Christians are causing trouble and getting killed for it, you know. And, uh, you know, a whole lot going on. So it kind of began to study more and more about what was going on. You know, uh, first Sunday of November is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So we want to be praying for them. And again, that builds. And then for ourselves, as far as missions go, you know, praying for missionaries. On the, on the bulletin, we've got uh, 18 missionaries, I think, that, that Rancho Baptist supports. You know? you know, maybe choosing one of those for a month and praying for them daily. Uh, getting to know them, maybe sending them encouraging notes. Or, you know, it gets pretty lonely out in the field. And uh, it gets pretty isolated sometimes. Uh, 
You know, I know we've, we've had that struggle a lot of times where we were the only ones on the field. And uh, for us, we, uh, we had been there for just about six months. And there was supposed to be another couple there, and they had financial issues. And there was another couple supposed to be there, and uh, they had some urgent things. And so we were the only ones there. We didn't speak the language, and we had a miscarriage. And uh, it was just a really hard time. You know, we had to go through the, my wife had had the surgery, and we were all kind of alone. And, uh, you know, missionaries go through difficult things just like the rest of us, except they don't have the support that the rest of us can sometimes have. So, you know, encouraging missionaries and then financially supporting missionaries. Um, someone, I heard someone ask a question, you know, what's too little? What's, what's the, the smallest, you know, practical amount of gift that, you know, or what was the question? Yeah, how much is too little to give on a monthly basis? And the answer was zero. <laughs> you know, zero is too little to give. Anything over that is fine, you know. We, don't, we think if we can't give 50 or $100 that we shouldn't give anything. And uh, that's just not true. You know, most missionaries are supported by little bits at a time. And uh, so there really is no, that are too small. And again, we have several missionaries, 18 missionaries or mission agencies and organizations that, um, that yeah, that could appreciate some support. So um, what can we do? Well, we have three things we can do. Uh, number one, we can, we can go, Right? We can go and be missionaries. I think maybe there's some of us here that God has called us to go and uh, we haven't gone. Or maybe the opportunity will come. You know, maybe there's a season in life that's finishing and maybe there'll be a new season where we'll have the opportunity and the calling to go and be missionaries. Um, for some of us, it's sending. You know, so we can go or we can send. And to send means, to, you know, to pray for, to encourage, to support. Uh, that's an opportunity and a, and a, and a privilege that we can have. And the third option we have is to disobey. You know, we can choose to not be a part of it and just ignore it, and we can choose to miss out. So we do have the opportunity. So we ask you to pray for us as well. Um, you know, we have our new prayer cards, if anybody like one, and we have our, our up-to-date prayer letter, which is on, in front of the what is that, media room up back there, if anybody wants one of those. But we appreciate your prayers, and I know many other missionaries appreciate your prayers as well. So let's, let's close our time in prayer. And I thank you guys for being good listeners. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for um, the Apostle Paul for his example. God, we thank you that it's been your heart and desire to, to graft in the nations, Father, of every tongue and tribe and nation. And Father, we can be here today and uh, participate in this as those who are recipients and now those who are senders and goers. Lord, help us not to sit on the bench and miss out on the opportunity, Lord to be part of something great and something bigger than ourselves and something that will last beyond our days. So we pray for your mercy, pray for your wisdom, and pray for opportunities and that we would seize them when they come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you've been blessed in any way by today's broadcast, we'd love to hear from you. Why don't you drop us a line at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org and you can email any one of the staff members that are there. Or you can even call us at area code 951-676-2911. We just pray that you've been touched today, and we pray that God blesses you in your walk with Him. Have a great day in the Lord.